This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly, written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Wow, you are going to learn so much in this show today. And honestly, if you've already learned a lot last week or the week before that, if you've experienced something new that you appreciate or see your faith differently because of this show, please make sure to review or recommend us on whatever podcast app you're using. So podcasting is incredibly unique because it is hard for people to discover a show, even if they're looking for it if they don't already know the name. But you, right now, just taking a minute and filling out a review for this show or this episode raises us in the ranking. So someone else who is looking for excellent Christian content, they may stumble on us a little bit easier because of you. Also, sharing this show is how quite literally we get to make Jesus go viral. So if you enjoy this episode today, share it with a friend. Oh my goodness. I am so excited about the conversation we are going to have today. You guys know how I feel about young people. That is my passion. That is so much of my ministry. And we're going to get into that conversation, Generation Z, today. But first, are you ready for hashtag blessed, where we look at a current topic facing all of us with social media and decide whether it's a hashtag blessed or a hashtag mess. So I wanted to do a hashtag blessed on the topic of guidelines a parent should know about their child using an iPhone or tablet. And I thought, who better for me to sit down and talk to than Mandy Majors? Mandy is the author of the award-winning book, Talk and Keeping Kids Safe in Digital World. And she's the co-host of Next Talk Podcast. Mandy, you know all about keeping our kids safe. In a digital world, is giving our kids technology a hashtag blessed or a hashtag mess? What do you think? Well, here's the thing. I have an 18-year-old, so I feel like I've guided her through the whole iPad, iPhone, all of it, right? All the steps. Uh uh Here's what I will tell parents. You don't want to give it too early. You want to make sure your kid is ready. But you also, Mm. you cannot miss your window. You do not want to be sending your kids to college and they've never been on any social media or had access to anything. We don't want that. So don't be so afraid of technology that you're just like, no, no, no. But don't give too early too fast either. Gotcha. Gotcha. So what might be some things that a parent should be looking for? Like, should I be, for me, I just actually, my kids had a tablet and I just removed YouTube 
from one of my sons because I noticed like kissing scene on a show. He just seems super interested. And I said, ah, I'm going to make sure that I take that off your tablet. And so that has worked. So checking their history, what kind of things would you tell a parent that they need to be doing? So my main focus that I have learned on the journey is to teach your kids to, how to tell you, how to communicate with you about what they're seeing online. Mm. No, I mean, they're little kids and everything is online. So they don't know what to tell you. And so if you're very specific with them, so for example, one of my things is anything dating, marriage, kissing. When my kids were in elementary school, that was one of my reporting guidelines. Mm. Like any word you don't know, you know, your YouTuber saying a word, you just don't know what it is. That's your red flag alert that you have to come ask me that. Anything like mean, bullying, violence, like if anybody's beating anybody up, like I want to know that. You got to come tell me. And the cool thing is when you are very clear about what you want reported and then they will bring it to you and they'll be like, mom, I was watching this and this popped up. Then that's a great moment where you get to model your response on how this is going to go for the rest of their lives. And Mm -hmm. so what I mean by that is I used to fly into crazy mom mode. They would mm-hmm. show me something and I'd be like, oh, what? Download it. Get rid of that app. We're not doing that, right? But I had to tweak my thinking. So mm. instead I would say, thank you so much for telling me. Let's talk about what you just saw. And if the app was inappropriate, then we would talk about, is that really good for our heart and mind at this time? Instead of me just freaking out and taking away the app. Because mm. when we do that, what happens is we create an environment where they're going to lie to us and then they're not going to tell us things. And we don't want that because we can't monitor everything they see online. <laughs> like, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and restrictions are great, but they're not going to catch stuff that you may deem as inappropriate. You know what I mean? Like everybody has their different levels of inappropriate of what they want their kids exposed to. And so what I have found is that first line of defense is teaching my kids like, these are the things that I want you to tell me. And then I'm going to stay calm. I'm not going to freak out. That's my promise to you. And then we're going to have a conversation about it. I absolutely love this. And I will tell you, I am a freak out mom. (laughs) It's because, because I work with college students and I've seen just how porn has affected them. It just isn't like the shame response to their spirituality is so much. They were too young to even know what they were doing. And so if I see anything, my kids came home, this is probably two years ago and told me later too, they didn't even tell me right after they had seen it, but one of the neighbors had shown them some porn on a tablet. And so as a parent, you walk into that situation and you're not, I felt like I wasn't ready for it. So thank goodness we have you, Mandy, (laughs) to help prepare us and even start having that inner dialogue hopefully before we're faced with a situation that we were never expecting. Yeah. And, you know, with the porn thing, Heather, one rule and guideline that I had for my littles was, please tell me about anyone you see on the screen bathing suit or less. And Uh, I would tell my kids, that doesn't mean I believe all bathing suit pictures are bad, but you're little right now. And you don't know the difference between like an innocent bathing suit picture and a highly sexualized. You know what I mean? Like they don't know the difference. So as they get older, that guideline changes and your guidelines will need to change. You know, when they were little, I would want them to report cuss words to me. Well, by middle school, it's so many cuss words, you know, like, so then it's just, you tell me if you're struggling to cuss, you know? And so your guidelines change and evolve with your kids, but the clearer you are about them, the more that they're really going to start telling you, and then you can have some open communication about it. Mandy, I appreciate you so much joining us. This is super helpful. People, you can buy her book, Talk. You can listen to her podcast, Next Talk. 
Super grateful for you and your work, Mandy. I know it's incredibly beneficial to me. So you guys, giving our kids access to technology, is it a hashtag bless or a hashtag mess? You decide. If you want to respond to our hashtag blessed segment today, if you have your thoughts on this topic, we would love to hear from you. Just type into your search bar, whether on Instagram or Twitter, type in at viral Jesus pod, and then just put a hashtag blessed on the end of whatever your comment is, and we will see it. We would love to enter the chat with you. Today, I get to sit down with one of the titans of youth and church research, Dr. Kara Powell. Dr. Kara Powell is the executive director of the Fuller Youth Institute. She is the author of Growing With and Growing Young. Her recent book is called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. She is just as down to earth as she is fascinating. And I just want you right now to soak in every bit of what you're going to learn in this conversation. I am so excited to have this conversation with you, Kara. What you may not know if you haven't listened to our show before is the first thing I do when I sit down with somebody is I go through their social media. So that's a little bit different. So for you, I'm going to read back to you a quote that you had online. This is from your Instagram. Uh Uh-oh. And I absolutely love it. Okay. I'm I'm bracing myself, Heather. Here we go. I love it. You say, today's generation is the most anxious, adaptive, and diverse ever. Let's be the most empathetic church ever. I'm not kidding. I actually, it wells up my eyes because I'm so passionate about serving this generation and I just think they need so much empathy. So, and you put it so succinctly. Tell us a little bit about why you think empathy should be our response for Generation Z. Well, I'm glad you picked that quote, Heather, because that actually represents months or really a few years of research. So you chose really? a good one. I'm glad it wasn't just, you know, something I had for breakfast or yeah. something that I posted <laughs> on uh, social media. But, you know, millennials, we at the Fuller Youth Institute define as those who are born from 1980 to 2000. And Gen Z then is those who are born after 2000. And so much of what we've heard in the last five or 10 years about young people is really about millennials. And and those folks are at least, you know, 22, 23 into their early 40s. Or 35 like me. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And that's a great generation to be sure. And we said at the Full Youth Institute, like, we want to understand what teenagers right now are like. And so we comb through all the research and, you know, really we're as ruthless as we could be to narrow it down to three adjectives. And you named the three that this generation is so anxious. You know, the right to mental health uh, struggles are just continue to escalate in a really heartbreaking way. This generation is adaptive. They're so creative, entrepreneurial, yes. innovative. And then they're so diverse, ethnically, uh, culturally, etc. And so in the midst of that, like, there's too many institutions that judge young people that, you know, point mm. their fingers. Those of us over 30, we're so quick to point our fingers at those who are under 30. And so what we want to say is let's really understand this generation. Let's not judge them. Let's journey with them. Um, I love my Catholic friends who talk a lot about accompanying. How do we accompany this generation? 
in the midst of their journey. And so, so that's what we want all of us to do is to better walk alongside young people. I want to talk about this for a second, because I do feel like so much of the conversation around, and I think every generation probably does this about the younger generation, right? It's like negative. The world is ending because this generation isn't doing X, Y, and Z. I have seen personally just so much redemptive, so much beauty in this generation, so much creativity, like you said. The word adaptive, tell us a little bit about what the research is showing about their ability to be adaptive. I want to explain this to my students. I think this will help them view themselves in a positive light. Yeah, yeah. Well, and to be fair, like we actually, at one point, we had the word creative instead of adaptive. And the reason that we went with adaptive is because what I love about the idea of adapting is that you take what you're given Mm-hmm. and you make the best, you respond, you create something beautiful out of it. And as much as I'm an optimist, uh, there are many ways that this generation um, has gotten the short end of the stick. Yes. You know, a lot of us adults are really busy. This generation yep. is a hurried generation. Uh, this generation has so many expectations placed upon them. And so, so what we, the reason we went with adaptive and not creative is it had all the, the beauty of creativity and the agency of creativity, but it also gave a nod to whatever a young person is dealt with in terms of their social location, in terms of their advantages or disadvantages, whatever they're dealt with, we're just seeing amazing resilience in young people hmm. and making something beautiful out of their current situation. Kara, I feel like you are one of the only people saying that. Mm. And so Mm. I just want to tell you how important your work is and your message is because I hear it all the time. All they're feeling is everything that's wrong. Yeah. We we highlight a lot of the mental health stuff, which is true and they know it. But to say, man, there's a resiliency in your generation. That vocabulary changes how they can respond to their own environments. Yeah. So I just want to affirm you so much in your work. It's it's encouraging to me. As someone who personally is multiracial, my mother is white, my dad is African and um, bohemian, what are you seeing as far as the multiracial aspect of Generation Z? Because yeah. as a professor, I know for me, being biracial, I'm like, when I was a kid and it would have been the 90s, I felt like it was like just me. Yeah. <laughs> and now yeah. I look across my campus and there's so many biracial students. What are you seeing as far as the the multiracial aspect of this generation? Yeah. Well, I think this is one of the real exciting gifts of this generation is their ethnic and cultural diversity. Heather, in the midst of everything else that happened in 2020, which, you know, a lot happened in 2020 right. here in the U.S., According to the U.S. Census, something significant happened for those under 18, that we actually crossed a line where half of those who are under 18 are young people of color. You know, you yourself would fall into that category. And half of those under 18 are young people who are white. And I'm white. I don't fall into the young person category anymore, (laughs) but my kids do. And so, you know, for the first time ever in the U.S., we have a generation that is half white and half people of color, which... I think is such an incredible gift and blessing of this generation. It begs a question for those of us who are Jesus followers, which is, Mm. you know, can we create faith communities where that kind of diversity is not just welcome, but discussed, 
celebrated, highlighted? You know, can the church be a place where you can talk about your experience in a multiracial family? And, you know, where maybe I as a white person can ask you questions about that. And you could ask me questions about my experience as a white person. I think that is, that's what it means to be created in the image of God. That's what it means to be the Revelation 7-9 community. That's what it means to be a disciple. So I actually think this could be one of the big blessings of the faith community is, is I would love and we would love to see us be a, a greenhouse where conversations about race, ethnicity, diversity are really welcome and celebrated. How are you seeing this impact their faith? Because I know something I have found to be very interesting is this generation, they'll still use at least my students, right? So this is anecdotal. They'll still use words like, oh, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat because that's what they hear their parents say. However, when I press even my really conservative white students on what they value, they'll tell me, I, oh, we need immigration reform. This is yeah. super important because it's deeply there. It's a part of their reality, yeah, yeah. right? And their friendship group. So I'm like, yeah. I find this very fascinating because they're using the same words that perhaps their parents are using, but they're yeah. not seeing it through the same lens. So what are you seeing as far as how the diversity actually impacts the way they see the church and how it should be operating? Yeah. The first word that comes to mind is love that I Mm. I think something that this generation can teach us more about, that my kids who are 21, 19, and 16 teach me more about is what it means to really love others. And, you know, you're absolutely right that for this generation, questions of immigration, for example, aren't just theoretical. They're very personal because they're Mm -hmm. about people. They're about persons Mm -hmm. they know. And so, you know, I think this generation has such a heart to be welcoming, to be accepting, to be loving, that I think uh, we've seen in churches that they can lead a church community forward. And, you know, so many pastors I talk to today, they say their church is very divided. And Mm. that's true. You know, these last few years in U.S. politics have been very polarizing. I actually think for young people, there's a, a bigger middle um, with, with young people that they can help point us toward and point us to what we do agree on in some really significant ways. What would you say to somebody who perhaps is 25 and they're really passionate about their faith and their spirituality and all of their peers? I can think of for myself. I I grew up going to private Christian schools. And when I look at my classroom, my graduating class, most of the people that I went to school with are no longer a part of the church. So what would you say to a 25-year-old content creator who's wanting to connect their peers to church? How do we do this anymore? Where for the first time, so many young people see church actually as something negative. It's not even like it's just, oh, whatever, I'm not worried about it. It's actually that they see it as a detriment to love, like you said before. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what I see with young people is they're intuitively drawn to some really good things and they can bring friends to those really good things. So Mm. let's just look at ethnic diversity as an example. So, and I'll, I'll talk about one of my own kids who um, is a college student and has started going to a really wonderfully ethnically diverse church near where we live. 
and I'm going to use they for gender because I haven't asked my child's permission to share this about about them. (laughs) And part of what they're realizing they really love about this church is its ethnic diversity. So as a family, we went and visited um, some relatives' uh, church, and it was a wonderful worship service. And in many ways, it felt like this ethnically diverse church except for it was about 95% white (laughs) Um, in a community that's not like that geographically. I mean, if you live Mm -hmm. in a community that's 95% white, then I think your church should reflect your community. So that, you know, that's usually the rule of thumb we give is we really applaud churches that reflect the geographical community where they're located. And so this was a very white church and a very diverse community. And what my college students said afterward was, you know, they loved a lot about the church, but they missed the diversity that they were experiencing at, you know, the new church that they're now a part of. And so, you know, I see with my own kids that they, it feels really right to them when they're part mm-hmm. of a Jesus-centered, diverse community. And then I think it gives them the opportunity to invite others to be part of that. So, you know, my child would way rather invite friends to be part of that diverse community than the more homogeneous community. Uh, another trend that we see in research beyond just my family, is that young people, they love inviting their friends to serve. So I would say, you know, this is an exciting new front door for the church. It shouldn't be new, but we're starting to use it as a new front door, is let's invite, let's encourage young people to invite their peers to come and feed the homeless with their church or to Mm -hmm. be involved in climate care with their church or whatever it might be, to be involved in a fundraiser with their church. Um, and and that is something that is very winsome for young people. So young people want to see the church in action. Um, and, you know, I think content creators have the opportunity to encourage young people to bring their young friends to see the church in action. One of the things we've seen in our research, Heather, is that Christianity can be confusing, but Jesus is compelling. Mm. So let's, you know, kind of Christian culture and the layers that we add uh, to Jesus can be off-putting, but Jesus is magnetic. And so let's give young people all sorts of opportunities that are just dripping with Jesus that they can invite their friends to experience. Kara, I was telling you before we got on that Almost every person I know who works in church ministry has read your book, Growing Young. Mm. You have a new book, Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. Please tell us about this. Yeah, yeah. This is exciting research. And I'll tell you, I changed my own view of myself, let alone my view of young people. But we spent time with uh, 27 very diverse, speaking of diversity, very diverse teenagers. And then we also did focus groups and interviews with over 1,000 teenagers. And out of that, we identified the three big questions that we think young people are wrestling with. And that's, first Mm. of all, identity. Who am I? Secondly, belonging. Where do I fit? And then third, purpose. What difference can I make? So identity, belonging, and purpose. Now, all of us are wrestling with those questions, right? Like those are daily questions in my life too. But Mm. for me, they're more at a low simmer. For those under 30, for those in a time of transition, they're more at a rolling boil. And what's been exciting is to see parents, to see family members, to see mentors, to see pastors take these three questions and use them for teaching series, use them for better conversations, use them to better understand what's happening with young people. So, you know, if one of my kids is doing something that just doesn't make sense to me, 
if I stop and go, wait, are they hungry for identity or belonging or purpose? What, what is it that they're seeking? Identity, belonging, or purpose? When I stop and ask that question, like all of a sudden, what, what my kid is doing starts to make sense. And, and myself, like if I'm starting to feel heat, uh, emotional heat mm. about an issue, I'm disciplining myself to stop and go, okay, wait, is this threatening somehow my identity, my sense of belonging, or my sense of purpose? And almost always when I'm feeling internal emotional heat about an issue, it's connected with one of those three big questions. So, so they're becoming the lenses through which I'm viewing myself and young people, and it's leading to richer conversations and connections. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. What kind of, I'm just going to use identity, what kind of identity questions yeah. are they asking and yeah, how yeah. should we be journeying with? Yeah, yeah. So as we spent time with teenagers, we tried to understand what are their current answers to each of these questions and what's a better Jesus-centered answer to these questions. Okay. And so in terms of how young people, especially teenagers, are currently answering this identity question, who am I? Um, who they are is largely defined by different audiences, external audiences. So young people feel like they've got to be one way at home, one way at school, one way with friends, one way at church, one way at mm, work, one way at the soccer field, et cetera. And that shifts audience by audience. So that can be jarring when they are trying to mirror who others want them to be. Young people also feel very labeled these days. So, you know, whether it's a learning disability that they might have, whether it's a mental health struggle they have, whether it's their race or ethnicity, they can also feel labeled. And then third, young people today often feel like they are not enough. They feel inadequate. Mm -hmm. They feel like they're not popular enough, pretty enough, smart enough, you know, uh, talented enough, whatever it might be. And so, you know, spending time with young people, we just heard those themes over and over again. And so as we reflected and did some, you know, theological analysis and scriptural analysis, what is it that we want young people to experience? We want young people to know that Jesus makes them enough. Yes. And in fact, I actually, I have eight prayers I pray for myself. Identity is a real poignant issue for me, Heather. I, I think most of us have one issue that's kind of, the tip of the arrow for us where mm -hmm. we're maybe most insecure or where God continues to show up, whatever <laughs> it might be. And for me, it's identity and not feeling like I'm enough. And so like my first prayer of the eight 
I prayed this morning, you know, Jesus, help mm-hmm. me to know that you make me enough. So that's what I want for myself. And that's what I want for you, your listeners, the people your listeners are influencing and teenagers to be sure. Why do you think it is? Because I, I agree with you. I, in my conversations with people, I think this is a very common human thing right now yeah. to feel like we're not enough. Yeah. You ideas in the research where this is, or is this not new? Maybe just nobody talked about it before. Yeah. Yeah. I I think we've always struggled with insecurity and, you know, et cetera. I think part of what's unique about this season, this year is technology. Um, Let's us see these curated images of others that seem so much better than us. So, um, I'm very pro-technology and, you know, technology can can help create a sense of identity, to be sure. You know, young people get to experiment with different senses of who they are. There's data from the pandemic that technology was really helpful in belonging. So, you know, please hear that there's a lot of good that technology right. can do. But it also brings up insecurities. Like just today, yes. I'll get totally personal. Just today, I saw a friend of mine post a dad whose kids are about 10 years older than me. And he posted a picture of his adult kids with their spouses at his house. And he said, I'm so glad that my adult kids still want to spend time on the weekends with with me and my wife. Um, And I looked at that and my first thought was, oh, that's so great. And then I thought, wait a second, are my kids going to feel that way in 10 years? Like, what if they don't? What if if I'm parenting now in Mm. such a way that's going to push them away? And like, I spent about 60 seconds feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm an inadequate mom. I'm an inadequate mom. I'm an inadequate mom. And I mean, that was two hours ago, triggered right. by something I saw on, I think, Instagram. So, so that's where it's like, okay, I have to center myself and go, I'm, I'm so glad that my friend's adult kids, you know, want to be with him on the weekend. And Jesus, I'm going to know that you make me enough. You make me enough as a mom. You make me enough as a wife. You make me enough as a leader, et cetera. So like that was today, literally. Yeah. So. And I think we have to have compassion for ourselves with this because it's all new. Everything that we're experiencing, especially with the constant accessibility to everybody's life. I always say to my students, it used to be that we compared ourselves only to our neighbors. Right. (laughs) Right. And their house or their lawn. But now it's like, I can see literally thousands of people and they're all doing better than me. So it feels every single time I scroll, which I think is really fascinating. Something you had said actually in an interview that I watched of you this week that I loved you said, one of my primary questions for my kids' church experience is not just that they are at church, but what relationships are they forming at church? Yeah. And yeah. I want to tell you why I love that. Something I've discovered, I always ask my students, just because I like to know, where did you decide, like, I really believe this thing, this faith? Mm. And mm. I always, the number one answer, at least for me, that I've heard in schools yeah. is summer camp. Huh. That I would have never thought that. I would yeah. have thought like my pastor, but I always think summer camp is this place where it's a ton of peer yeah. involvement. Young yeah. people for the first time yeah. are not only in charge of of the campers, but they're also running the worships and the they're yeah. in leadership roles. Yeah. And then later when they say why they can't, chose to go to a Christian college, something happened for them at summer camp. So tell us why. Yeah. 
you think the relationships young people form at church are so crucial for them? Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about some research if I may. Yeah, There's all please. sorts of ways I could answer that question, Heather, but I'll actually go with some research. For our Sticky Faith research, which we did before Growing Young, we looked at 13 different youth group participation variables, 13 things that kids do in the context of a typical youth group. And camps was definitely one of them that was related to mature faith. Being involved in student leadership was one of them that was related to mature faith. But of all 13 variables, the one that was most correlated with mature faith in high school and college was intergenerational relationships, Mm. was rubbing shoulders, generally people who were older, who were role models, who were mentors, who asked questions, who encouraged, who accompanied, who empathized, you know, as we started this conversation with. And so, you know, I looked at things like summer camp as this incredible merging of so many good things. Yeah. Um, and, And then I think let's look at summer camp specifically. I think there's a tendency for a kind of a camp high followed by a post-camp low, you know, when you get (laughs) down the mountain or off the boat or, you know, wherever your summer camp was, and all of a sudden things don't feel special anymore. Like that's when I think intergenerational relationships are, you know, so important to provide that continuity. So the last summer camp that our youngest went to, she actually got baptized. Hmm. She asked us ahead of time if she could get baptized at camp, even though we wouldn't be there. And, you know, as a parent, I, I luckily, God helped me, and I, I had enough of a poker <laughs> face because my first thought was, oh, I want to be there. Uh, right. But instead, I said, well, let me talk to your dad. And Dave and I talked. And for all sorts of reasons, we felt like this was the right thing. If God was working and she wanted to get baptized, then that was more important than whether or not we were going to be there. Right. So I texted the youth pastor, our youth pastor, and said, hey, you know, Jessica's might want to get baptized. Just so you know, we're supportive of that because I didn't want him to be worried about us as parents, you know, but take plenty of video. And the church did. And so she got baptized, sent us a video. You know, we watched it with her multiple times. And then, you know, what Dave and I decided to do is we asked a bunch of adults who are important in Jessica's life, as well as some peers, to write a paragraph or two or three just about, you know, what they think baptism means for Jessica, what they appreciate about Jessica, how they hope Jessica continues to grow in Jesus, all as a surprise to her. And, mm. you know, I compiled all those into a notebook, put it in a, you know, $1.29 folder from Target, printed out a still from the video and put it in a frame of her baptism. And, you know, that's what we gave Jessica a few weeks after camp mm. to be that intergenerational connection and yeah. that back home connection with the spiritual high at camp. So I love spiritual highs. I just want intergenerational relationships yeah. to help us bridge from high to high. Why do you think intergenerational relationships are so difficult? What do you say? Something I've noticed actually in the last probably two years that I never had before was my students will literally say to me, will you be my mentor? Never had that seven years ago. Yeah. And now they have this vocabulary. What are you hearing in the research as far as them actually seeking out a relationship with an older person that is maybe not in their family or is a part of their church or whatever? And what are those responses for them like? 
Yeah, yeah. Good question. I actually don't have recent data on young people seeking out mentoring, but I do have some interesting data on their openness to mentoring. So it's a little different than seeking out. So Springtide Research Institute, a year into the pandemic, surveyed several hundred, I think over a thousand, 13 to 25 year olds across the U.S., Here's the heartbreaking insight from the data is only 10% of 13 to 25 year olds that they surveyed heard from a faith leader at all, from any faith <laughs> during the first year of the pandemic. So Christian, Mormon, Islamic, it's wow. Jewish, etc. Only 10% of young people, only 10% of young people heard from a faith leader. That That's just appalling. That breaks my heart. Somebody who loves young people in the mm-hmm. church. But here's the good news, is that in that same survey, 70% of those 13 to 25-year-olds were open to deeper relationships. So I think young people, like, we're in this divine window now where young people, uh, you know, they felt alone during the pandemic, struggled during the pandemic, showed some resilience during the pandemic, and I think they're more open to us as adults over 30 And we have to, I mean, Jim Rayburn, the founder of Young Life said, we have to earn the right to be heard. Mm. And, uh, you know, trust is built through a lot of small steps uh, when it comes to teenagers. And so that's something else we're seeing in our research, actually, is just how important it is for us as adults to take a bunch of little steps to build trust with teenagers so that they will be open to what we have to say. And, you know, they might not come to us and say, will you mentor me? It's wonderful when they do. But, you know, maybe if we say, hey, you want to go out for coffee, they'll say yes in return. And we can have a more meaningful conversation. I can't remember where it's from, so I'm hoping you'll help me. Is it true? I feel like I saw a study that said this generation, Generation Z, was the most likely of any generation to say that they'd go to church if someone just invited them? Huh. I I don't know that I've seen that exact data, but I think okay. if the invitation comes from someone they trust, then there's a lot of openness. Mm. So, you know, I think the ball's in our court. Are we earning the trust? Are we unconditionally mm. loving young people such that they do notice something's different in our life and are open to checking it out. Talk to me about what are you seeing about online church? Any research there? Are you seeing them wanting to go back? I teach on a Christian campus and my students, and they love God. And the ones I often talk to are like, yeah, I'm not interested really in going back. And I'm like, okay, we have to have some conversations here because what are you seeing in the data? Is this true? Yeah. Uh, Churches are struggling. And, you know, I I don't have data on this at my fingertips, but anecdotally, I would say most churches I'm talking to, about 30 to 40% of their people are not coming back geographically. Mm. Some are watching online and engaging online, but a lot aren't. One of the phrases we like to use at Fuller about the pandemic is it revealed the underlying conditions of a church or of a youth ministry. And so I think in those ministries where uh, relationships were somewhat superficial, it was more programmed than it was mentoring, uh, the pandemic upended that ministry then. You know, we Mm. can say, though, and this goes back to identity, belonging, and purpose, is when churches really focus 
on one or more of those, that's what's magnetic for young people. So like one church, large church in the Midwest, when the pandemic hit, their 200-person high school ministry shrunk to 100 teenagers who were joining by Zoom. So cut by 50%. And what they realized was even in the midst of the pandemic and Zoom, they needed to focus on belonging. That was of the three questions, that's what their young people really needed to know that they belonged. And so they re-emphasized small groups. They recruited and trained small group leaders. They really invested in the adults who were creating a sense of belonging with young people. Well, when they opened small groups, they ended up with 400 teenagers, high school students who were in small groups. So, you know, this ministry that went from 200 to 100, once it started focusing on belonging, it jumped back up to 400. And so that's what we love for ministries, adults, mentors, the kind of people who are influenced by the content creators listening to this podcast is to ask themselves about the community they're part of or leading Like, what is it that this community needs to most grow in right now? Is it identity? Is it belonging? Is it purpose? And then let's lean into that in the way we build relationships, in the teaching we do, in the events that we do. And we're seeing that when churches do that, it brings fruit to the faith community. Kara Powell, you did not disappoint. Kara Powell is the author of Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. You can get this book wherever books are sold. Kara, our tagline for Viral Jesus is that we want to encourage Christians to enter the chat. In a time Mm. where there's a lot of just negatives around social media, we want to encourage people to take ownership of how they're communicating both online and off. So I want to ask you this closing question. How do you choose to be a redemptive voice in the online space? What a great question. Think I'll I'll tell a story. Yeah. Three different ways to answer that question come to mind. Um, I'm going to tell a story because it involves a young person. So during the pandemic, our family served most weeks, most Thursday afternoons, we served at a food distribution center. Gosh, I tear up thinking about this, Mm. Heather. And about the second or the third week, I was taking pictures of, you know, Dave and me with the kids serving. And one of my kids said, mom, don't post that. And I said, really, why? She said, well, don't be one of those people that posts how you're serving just so you can kind of look good. Mm. And what I love about what she got to is my motives. (laughs) And I Mm. think that's something that I try to use as a filter for myself when I post something. Am I posting because I want to look good, because I'm trying to generate Mm. a false sense of identity, belonging, or purpose? Or am I posting because I really want to point to Jesus's answers to those questions and how we can all lean into Jesus's best answers? So I didn't post for months about our service because I think my daughter saw that I was being kind of self-aggrandizing by wanting to take pictures and post about it. So that, for me, a lot of it has to do with my motives and just being attuned to those. Kara, mm. you multiple times in this conversation have said what other people think but mm-hmm. are not brave enough to say. And so again, I just want to thank you for your ministry. Kara Powell is the author of Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. We have got to pick up this book, especially those of us who are passionate about discipleship for this generation. Thank you so much, Kara. So what can we learn from our conversation with Dr. Kara Powell? Number one, there are too many institutions that judge young people. Let's instead understand them. 
and journey with them. Number two, Generation Z adapts. That means that they take whatever situation they're given and they learn how to respond to it and they try to make something beautiful out of it. They adapt. That's what Generation Z has done really well. Number three, only 10% of young people from any religion heard from a faith leader at all during the pandemic. If you are trying to decide how to mentor or serve this generation, simply taking a moment to touch base and connect with them is a really great place to start. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week, we will sit down with the chaplain of the Dallas Cowboys and the co-chaplain of the Dallas Mavericks, Jonathan Evans. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan podcast, where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan discuss everything from simple acts of kindness to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.